our time today and uh, as we worship together in a combined service. Next week, things will be back to somewhat normal. But if you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And as I look back on 2022, I am just so amazed at all the ways that God graciously used the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way. He used us, all the things he did in and through us. And of course, as I look ahead to this, this year, I just cannot wait to see all the things that God is going to do in and through this faith family. I think of, and you already heard it, but if you look over here to my, my left, your right, we have our board ready for our words for the year. So we are asking again for everyone in this faith family to pray and ask God to give you a word, one word anchored in the word, the word of God that will become your prayer for the new year. Next week, I'll be sharing mine, and over the next uh, three weeks, you'll be hearing uh, different words uh, from pastors in our church, and we are just thankful for the way God does that, and we will encourage you to pray and ask God to give you a word, and when he does, you can come up here, and there are cards, you can write your word and the verse that goes along with it, put it on the board um, as a testimony for you and as accountability and encouragement for others, and here's a good little um, thought as well. There have been years where I have done my word for the year. I put it on the board. The board eventually goes away, and I've made it through the end of the year, and I could not tell you what my word was. Um, so this year, I tried something different. Um, not only did I put my word on the, the board, I also put my word on another 3 by 5 card, and that, that became my bookmark for my Bible reading every single day. So every single day, I saw my word for the year. So as I head into another year, I can tell you what my my word or what my phrase for last year was. So I want to encourage you um, in that and just thankful for what God is going to do. And of course, as we know, today marks the first day of January, a new year. The, the month, as Pastor Jordan said, that everyone seems to be on a diet and everyone seems to be on their best behavior. You know, this is the month where carnivores turn, turn into vegans and of course couch potatoes become gym bunnies. And I say just this month because that's, for most part, as long as it lasts. But people have been making New Year's resolutions for over 3,000 years. It started with the Babylonians, and the start of a new year kind of marks a new beginning. Resolutions happen, yet in reality, hate to burst our bubbles, um, there is no difference whatsoever between 11.59 p.m. on December 31st and midnight of January 1st. There there is no magical reset button that happens that erases all the bad decisions that we have made over the past 365 days. That would be nice, but it doesn't happen. And let me just say this. There is nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions as long as you have the right goal. And the right goal is not your glory. The right goal is God's glory. And as long as also in making New Year's resolutions, understand this that God has the right to override your resolution. God has the right to say, you know what? What you're choosing is good, but it's not my will. Therefore, my will is going to be done. And, of course, there is nothing magical about choosing one time a year to make resolutions. In fact, the Christian life should be a continual journey of change, meaning as we open the word of God daily, as we are submitting to the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit convicts us of things in our lives that need to be changed, we're changing them immediately. We're not waiting 253 days for January 1st or whenever that time might be. So 
the Christian life is about constantly walking with the Holy Spirit leading and directing. And as we exit 2022, as we enter 2023, I think it is important for us to ask this question. Are we more like Jesus right now than we were this time last year? Are we more like Jesus? Think about this in your life. Are you more like Jesus right now than you were at this time last year? Or put it this way, are we closer to Jesus right now than we were December 1st? of 2022. I want to kind of transition or kind of set this up this way. How many of you are aware that it, it has become a new trend to steal baby Jesus figurines from outdoor nativity scenes? Did you know about this? A few of you raising your hands, you guilty individuals. But according to New York Times journalist Katie Rogers, it is an enduring and illegal practice believed to be part of a yearly tradition often carried out by bored teenagers looking for an easy prank. The prevalence, of course, of this prank and theft has caused many owners of outdoor manger scenes to protect their property by putting a GPS system or tracker in baby Jesus, have a surveillance camera on their manger scene, or many are removing baby Jesus from their manger scenes altogether. Just imagine that. You know, you're looking, something's missing in my manger scene. The good news, of course, is the real Jesus can't be stolen. Amen? That's good news for us. But, and you knew a but was coming, we can often rob ourselves of his presence. The real Jesus cannot be stolen, but we can often rob ourselves of his presence. Meaning, it is insane and it is ironic that during a time of year, December, where we are supposed to be celebrating his birth, many professing believers walk out of this season further away from him than they were when they began. I mean, it's a sad reality that we are living in. Whether, and I'm going to say this, whether you are further away than you've ever been from Jesus today or whether you are closer than you've ever been, it should be our aim because it is our privilege to draw near to him which is where we are going this morning. Every story of the Bible contains an overarching theme running through it. The heartbeat of our God is to have a relationship with you and with me. When God formed Adam and Eve, he uniquely set his image inside of them. It's called Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. And please hear this. No other facet of creation, no matter how beautiful and amazing it is, has been made in the image of God. But I didn't get... That didn't get anything. Meaning, let me just break it down. Your cat was not made in the image of God. Your dog was not made in the image of God. Your whatever it might be was not made in the image of God. We alone have been made a mago day in God's very image. Meaning, meaning, because a mago day in us, God continually calls us to Himself. And His call is always for us to come back to His presence which is what we were made for. Drawing near to God is not something we do in an hour. It's not something we do for a month. It's something that we give ourselves and our whole lives to. And it involves this delight. We delight in him, but it also involves discipline. We delight in him, but we have to discipline ourselves in drawing near to him. Here's what I know. Some of us have tried a daily quiet time 
spending time with God and you have not been successful. Others of us have a hard time concentrating. And let's be, be honest, we're all busy. We're all busy with different things. So many people, rather than spending time with God they, and listening to God's voice, we often let other people spend time with God and then we benefit from their experience. So other people tell us what God is saying. And in fact, isn't that what we pay the pastor to do? To find out what God is saying and tell us. And many live in that approach. But let me just say this. If that is your approach, if that, if that is your approach, that your spiritual experiences are all secondhand and not firsthand, I challenge you with this thought. Just follow with me here. Do you live other parts of your life that way? Meaning, you never take vacations, you just live off the vacations that other people take. And, and you just live off that. You never go to work, you just live off other people working. And I'm not going to touch that one, I'm going to move on quickly with that. Or you do that with romance. You're never in a romance, you just love other people's romance. Or you think about, we don't let other people eat on our behalf. There's just certain things that only we can do. And one of those things, hear me, is draw near to God. Draw near to him. So I want us this morning to dive into this word. As we heard this morning from the choir, this ancient word, yet it is powerful and it is living. And let us draw near in this moment. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read James 4. We're going to read verses 6 through 10 together. So verse 6 through 10, and it says this. James writes, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray together. Father, we come in this moment, and Lord, we are asking today that you would help us as your people to see the command here, but also the privilege that we have to draw near to you. The Old Testament saint lived under the premise of stand back, stay away, do not approach the presence of God, yet us, because of Jesus, we are able to draw near to you, O God. So help us to celebrate that privilege, not by standing back. Or as we read this week in the life of Peter, following at a distance, which led to denying you. But help us to draw near, knowing that you will draw near to us. Just have your way in this time. Speak, O God, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So I'm not sure if you guys were, were locked in, if you guys were, were counting here, but these five verses that we read today have been called the Decalogue of the book of James, meaning there are ten commandments, there are ten words, commandments that are given to us here um, in these five verses. And although these commands are not as momentous as the ten commandments given in Exodus 20 with you know, a smoking mountain, with thunder and lightning, trumpets and the audible voice of God, these words are just as authoritative over our lives um, as those words were. And so although draw near to God is just one of the commands given, it's the goal of them all. 
The goal of every command here is that we draw near to him. The door of God's heart is open to you. It's open to you. In fact, God the Father turned away from Jesus as our sins rested squarely upon his shoulders, ensuring that he would never turn away from us. He turned away from Jesus, ensuring that he would never again turn away from one of his. So to draw near to God is simply to open our hearts to what is available to us. And what's available to us is his presence. In in our society, there are all sorts of barriers that prevent or hinder access to certain people, certain places, certain things, whether they be Hollywood actors that you can't get to, famous musicians, professional athletes, politicians, whether it be the the Mona Lisa or whether it be the gold that's currently housed at Fort Knox, all of these people and places and events that limit access, if you combine every single one of them together, are nothing in comparison to the worth of God. He infinitely transcends in value and glory and honor and power all such big shots and priceless things on this earth. But the Bible tells us this, that he has made the greatest imaginable sacrifice precisely to open up a way for us to have unhindered access to him. You never need to make an appointment to draw near to God. You will never be turned away if you draw near to God by faith in Jesus. The whole of Scripture tells us that God our Father sent His Son Jesus in order that we might know Him more fully. That Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. And God was was willing to love us in the Old Testament for a while through a veil. But when the time was right, as we saw last week, Jesus came and he ripped that veil in two. He ripped it in two. It was ripped from top to bottom. He opened up a new and living way by which we are able to approach God. He opened up a permanent and gave us continuous access to God the Father by shedding his own blood once and for all. Or to put it this way, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would have, of course, we would say everlasting life, but let me say this, would have an everlasting relationship with him that starts right now. An everlasting, ongoing relationship. It's all about relationship. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God sought to reestablish relationship with them. We couldn't get to where God was, so God sent his son to where we are. Until that time, he loved us from afar, behind a veil, because sin could not be in the same place as God's glory. But Jesus came, and he came to us. Therefore, think about this this morning. Why would we not want to know the height and the depth and the width of his love for us? Why would we not want to walk with him and share our heart's concerns with him? Why would we not want to live to please the one who sought to restore us from our broken relationship? And although there are ten commandments here would draw near to God being only one of them, I want us to look at these verses in light of how we must draw near to God. 
And brothers and sisters, let me just say this. If that's not your aim, then you are the most miserable person here in this room, even if you have a smile on your face right now. If that is not your aim, you will have the most miserable year ever, even though all of your earthly goals might be accomplished and you might get five raises this year. The deal is, if your aim is not to draw near to God, you will have wasted your year. You will have, and, it, and you could come to church 52 times this year, and guess what? If, you're not, if your goal is not to draw near to God, you will have wasted your time. I'm going to be honest. If you don't want to draw near to God, here's the deal. Don't come. Don't come. I, I hate to say that. And you're like, Pastor just told me not to come to church. You gain zero from coming into this building if you, aren't, if you don't have a heart open to him. Because here's the truth. If you walk in here and you hear the word of God and you don't obey it, let me tell you what your heart does. Your heart grows more and more hardened to the things of God. More and more hardened to the things of God. Brothers and sisters, may today be a day as we come in contact with the word of God that the word of God breaks our hardness. That the Holy Spirit of God breaks the hardness of our hearts. So I want us to look at four ways to draw near to God. And I'm not going to make any promises. It might get a little worse. It might get a little rougher today. But we're going to do so based on what the word of God says. So number one is this. Draw near to God humbly. Draw near to God humbly. Verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? To the humble. Verse 7 says, submit to God, meaning place yourself underneath him. Place yourself underneath. This is an act of humility. Submit yourselves to God. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So this drawing near involves humility and it involves submission. In the words of John Stott, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. And what are the marks of the humble? Here, here are some marks of the humble. Humility causes us to be quieter, not louder. Humility causes us to be more grateful, not more critical. Humility causes us to be more gracious, not more condescending. Humility causes us to be more desperate for the Spirit of God, not more self-reliant upon ourselves. Humility causes us to be meeker before the Word of God, not more intellectually arrogant in the Word of God. And humility causes us to be more faithful in prayer and less dependent upon ourselves. And humility... And submission to God is the fabric that should be woven into every area of our lives. Listen, we live in a world that by and large does not and will not submit to God. We live in a world that's quick to say, well, what about my rights? What about my rights? I have rights. Let me just pause for a second and say this. Have you ever considered the rights of God? What about the rights of God, which are the first, the highest, the surest, the most serious rights in the universe? Yet he remains a stranger to the world that he made. He has given us eyes to see, and yet we look to everyone and everything except for him. He has given us a mind, and yet we think about everything but him. He has given us ears and we listen to everyone and everything but him. He gives us our very 
breath. And although his mercy is over all that he has made, we as a whole will not submit to him. Listen, we should submit to God because he created us. We should submit to God because uh, his rule is good for us. We, t- we should submit to God because all resistance to him is futile. We should resist or submit to God because such submission is necessary for salvation. Probably should have started there. Submit to God because you can't be saved without submitting to him, without humility before him. We should submit to God because that's the only way we will have peace with God. And here is the truth that we must all hear this morning. Every single one of us in this room or watching online, every one of us right now, you are submitting to another. You are submitting right now to another. Maybe you think, no, I'm the captain of my own ship. And it's great that you think that way, but every moment of your life is lived in submission. Everyone, either you are submitting to the ways and plans and will of God, or you are submitting to the ways and plans and will of the enemy. Every moment of our lives, we are either submitting to God or we are submitting to the enemy. No person is without a master. None of us. So will we daily choose to humble ourselves before God and submit to him? Will we place ourselves under his rule or will we submit to the enemy? Oh, that we would humbly draw near. But then secondly, draw near to God decisively. Draw near to God decisively. So before we can stand before Satan, we have to bow before God. And James tells us this, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And let me just lay this out here today. Satan is a fallen angel, and because all, sa- all angels excuse me, are created, Satan is a created being. So he is created. He is not equal and, and the opposite power of God. So sometimes we think of Satan as if it's dualism, God and Satan fighting back and forth, and who is going to win? No, there is no dualism when it comes to God and Satan, only domination. God dominates. Satan has been defeated. But Satan is not eternal. His power is not infinite. He does not possess divine attributes, meaning he is no match for God. The word of God is clear that whereas Satan is powerful, he is not omnipotent, meaning he is not all-powerful. Whereas Satan is intelligent, he is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. Whereas Satan is active, he is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. Therefore, the ultimate picture here is to place ourselves under God's authority requires that we resist and turn away from the enemy. A story is told about Martin Luther who in his study one day threw an inkwell at Satan and told him to get out of the room. So to Luther, to Martin Luther, Satan was not just an imaginary character, but was a constant presence in his life that constantly fought against him and tried to rob him of the peace that God had promised to give to him. And the picture is this. According to the word of God, Satan is alive and he is well. He's constantly trying to trip us up. Throwing objects at him is probably not the best way to resist him, but we must resist him. We must resist him. So when we experience temptation, when we feel the onslaught of Satan in our lives, we are called to resist. We're not called to argue. We're not called to debate. We are called to resist the devil. 
But think about this. We're not even called to run away from the devil. Now, the Bible tells us we're to flee from certain things. We're to flee from sexual morality. We're to flee from idolatry. We're to flee from envy, the love of money, and other sins. But James says when it comes to the enemy, we stand our ground and we resist the devil. And instead of us fleeing, we resist him and he flees. We resist and he flees. And the word resist here literally means to stand against or to stand in opposition to. It's a word that demonstrates the attitude of someone who is fiercely opposed to something and therefore determines that they will do everything in their power to resist that thing, to stand against that thing, to defy that thing. So by using this word, James basically is saying this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the only power by which we will resist the devil, be aggressively determined to stand against his work. By the power of the Holy Spirit, be aggressively determined to stand against the devil. Just shutting your eyes and hoping that the enemy will, will withdraw himself from you will not work. Our stand against the devil must be firm. It must be unyielding. It must be steadfast. And notice that James uses the title devil. If you understand that word devil, you immediately understand the sinister work of our enemy. The word devil is a compound word. Based two words together, dia and balo. We know it as diabolo. And in this particular case, it means, the word means this, it means through. But think of it this way. It means as to pierce something from one side all the way through to the other side. So when these two words are joined together, it means to repetitiously throw or hit something, striking again and again and again and again until that object that is being stricken immediately or continually is fully, completely penetrated all the way through. Now, do you see why this is a vivid description of our enemy? It tells us exactly how he operates. He comes to Assault the mind, not just once, but over and over and over again. The Bible says fiery darts. So he, he throws those at us again and again and again and again. And he keeps striking and striking and striking until he wears our resistance thin. And then when our resolve is gone, Satan doesn't just walk away. No, he punches one more time and he succeeds in penetrating our minds. And then when he penetrates our minds, he fills our minds with lie after lie after lie after lie. You know what we oftentimes preach to ourselves, brothers and sisters? Lie after lie after lie. As children of God, we say things like, well, I'm just cursed. No, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Or we say, well, God must be against me. No, if God is for us, who can be against us? The picture is this. God who did not withhold his only son from us, how will he not also give us all things? And yet we live and speak lie after lie. Why? Because there is a hole where Satan is shooting those lies into us and we begin to speak those lies out even to ourselves. But let me ask you this. Instead of just giving the devil pleasure, the pleasure of filling our minds with lies, why don't we resist him with the truth? Meaning, we must remind the enemy, we're not yours. We belong to Jesus. 
We are in him. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Our identity is not based on our past, but based on who we are right now in Christ and who we will be. We resist Satan by submitting to God. We stand against Satan by aligning our hearts and minds to the truth of what God's word says, meaning, get this, we have to know the word. We have to know the word. We resist Satan by living in obedience to the word. We resist Satan when we worship and adore Christ above everything else that Satan can um, put before us. Never forget, brothers and sisters, that spiritual warfare is not horizontal. It's not a horizontal tug of war. It is a vertical chain of command. Let me say it again. Spiritual warfare is not a horizontal tug of war by which we're just tugging with Satan. It is a vertical chain of command which we are able to look at Satan and say, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Amen. That is the truth of who we are in Christ. That is the truth. So therefore, draw near to God decisively. We will resist the devil and the power of the Holy Spirit and he will flee. Number three, draw near to God honestly. Draw near to God honestly. Like the the sinful son in the story of the prodigal son who squandered it all in reckless living. He was empty. He was hungry. He was alone. He was broke. He needed a bath. He needed rehab. He needed friends. But more than that, he needed fellowship with his father. He needed fellowship with his father. So the Bible says he came to his senses. And he says, I'm going to go to my father and I'll just live as a servant. If only I can have that fellowship again and be in his presence again. But the father wouldn't even let him get his speech out. Wouldn't even let him give his rehearsed speech. Instead, his father embraced him, restored him, had compassion on him, kissed him. He gave him a robe and a ring and threw him a party. And what did the son do? He came honestly. He didn't come blaming his friends. He didn't come blaming his older brother. He came honestly. I've sinned. Sinned against you. I've sinned in that way. Brothers and sisters, don't turn away from this God. You cannot be happy without him. You can't be happy without him. Draw near to him. He stands ready to receive you, and he will receive you with mercy. The scripture says, James says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Oswald Chambers said that, he was right when he said that we should measure our growth in grace by our sensitivity sensitiveness to sin we should measure our growth in grace by how sensitive we are to sin how sensitive we are to the sin in our lives let me just step here for a second i'm about to step on it we measure our relationship with the lord and our growth in the lord not by how we measure the sins of others there are many in this room and all of us are probably good we have phds in measuring the sins of other people we can tell you all about the sins of other people. What we can't do is we can't seem to identify one sin of our own. Like, it's, it's a whole lot easier to identify a thousand sins of everybody in this room than it is to identify one sin of myself. But brothers and sisters, you don't draw near to God by confessing the sins of other people. You draw near to God by confessing your own sins. 
You draw near to God by asking the Holy Spirit, keep my sin ever before me. And as you do so, help me to humbly confess those and receive the forgiveness, God, that you have promised. Let me say it again because some of you need to hear this. You don't draw closer to God by confessing the sins of others. You draw closer to God by confessing the sins of yourself. Oh, to God that we would be honest before him. And let me just be clear here. There is a difference between the once for all cleansing of our sin that happens the moment we are saved. So God forgives us past, present, future sins. We have relationship with God. There's a difference between that and then as we live our lives every day, we fall into sin. And we need forgiveness, not for our relationship with God, but for fellowship with God. That we would have fellowship with him that can be hindered if we stay in sin. Pastor Tony Evans says this, Cleansing the hands refers to confessing and getting rid of the wrong that we are doing. But notice that James goes beyond the hands to the heart. We must purify our hearts because if we merely stop doing wrong things without dealing with the internal problem that caused the wrong behavior, we will soon go back to the wrong behavior. This is why so many people's New Year's resolutions fail and why so many Christians' good intentions never get fulfilled. What they are doing is not the main problem. They need to fix the root that is producing the fruit, which is the heart. We have to fix the heart. And as we draw near to God, we will become convicted by our sin. And we will mourn and weep under that conviction. And we will confess our sins before God. And according to his word, we will be forgiven. We'll be forgiven. Listen, if you don't know that you are a sinner, you will never see your need for grace. Let me say it again. If you don't understand that you are a sinner, you'll never see your need for grace. And if you don't confess your sins as a sinner, you'll never receive his grace. Draw near to God honestly. And understand this, brothers and sisters. When I talk about this whole picture of confessing our sin and walking in sin, I'm not speaking to a select few in here that are bad and hypocrites. I'm speaking to all of us because all of us, every day of our lives, fall into sin. And the problem is, many of us, if I were to ask you, when was the last time you asked God to forgive you, you would say, well, when I prayed the prayer of forgiveness back in 1983. Well, you know what? You've had a lot of messed up uh, decisions in your life since 1983. And if you aren't asking God to uh, forgive you of those things, you are out of fellowship with God. So the pictures, I'm not talking to the, the, the worst person here, although I am, I'm talking to every one of us in this room. Are we walking in fellowship with God by confessing our sins daily before him? Draw near to God honestly, which leaves us lastly, draw near to God expectantly. Draw near to God expectantly. I want to go back to verse 6. Verse 6, I love how it begins. It says this, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Grace, you need it. You can't live without it, but you also can't purchase it and you can't earn it. It only ever comes by means of a gift. And when you receive it, you immediately know that that is what you have needed all along. And you wonder how you could have ever lived without it. In a fallen world populated by selfish, lost, fearful, 
rebellious people. It's the one thing we need, his grace. You see, God's grace is the most powerful force in the universe. So therefore, I would say it's the most beautiful word in the universe. His grace. It reaches, it reaches you to, at where you are, and it takes you to where God wants you to be. That is his grace. It has the power to do something nothing else can transform our hearts and lives. You see, the Bible is not a bland book. As we read it, we taste the awful, awful bitterness of our sin. And we confess that sin to God. And as we do so, we experience the amazing sweetness of his grace. And his grace never runs out. There's grace for every need. There's grace when we have been wounded, broken, and hurt. There's grace when we have sinned miserably. There's grace when it seems like everything and everyone is against us. There's grace when we ask God to remove things from our lives that bring us discomfort. I think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, remove this from me, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you, meaning my grace is enough. My grace is enough. But think about it. My grace is enough, but James says this, he gives more. His grace is enough, and he gives more grace. Here's a good question. Ponder this. How did James know that? How did James know that God gives more grace? I say two different reasons. One of all, he experienced it. Second of all, his half-brother was Jesus. Therefore, he kind of got it. He kind of understood the reality of what was happening. God gives grace in unlimited supply. The story is told of an artist who submitted a painting of Niagara Falls at an art gallery, but he didn't give it a title. So the gallery needed one, so they... They made a title themselves, and they entitled the, the painting, More to Come. What a reality. Billions of gallons of water rush over the falls every year, but there's more to come. And let me just speak to us today in this room and watching online as children of God, saying, I don't know, God, I don't know how God is going to meet me here, wherever here is. I don't know how God is going to work good in this whatever this is. I don't know how God is going to heal me of this. Whatever that is, is like standing underneath Niagara Falls and saying, I'm not sure there's enough water here to meet my thirst. Brothers and sisters, he gives more grace. He gives more grace and more grace and more grace, but don't miss it. He gives grace to who? To the humble. He gives grace to the humble. We need his grace for the battles in the flesh. We need his grace for the burdens that we carry. We need his grace in the midst of loss and uncertainty. We need his grace for every breath that we breathe and for every step that we take. And he gives more grace. Is God calling you in this moment? Maybe for the last month, maybe the last year, maybe a while. Is God calling you to do something you've never done before? He gives more grace. Is God calling you into things that seem out of your depth? Meaning, God, I could never do that. He gives more grace. And let me just step in again and say this. 
I don't know if you know this, brothers and sisters, God doesn't call us to do, or many times he doesn't call us to do things that we can do on our own. Because when we do them on our own, on our own, guess who we give the credit to? It's like, look what I did. No, God calls us to do things that only he can get the glory for. So therefore, when God calls us to do things, we go, God, I can't. And God goes, exactly. I know you can't. Let's, let's do it. You follow me and you will. Is God calling you to do something that beyond you? He gives more grace. Is God whispering in your heart right now a name or a task or placing a burden within you? He gives more grace. What great news for us today. He gives more grace. But be careful and don't forget the truth that goes with it. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. This week in our Bible reading plan, we read of, of Jesus telling his disciples, you're all going to scatter. And Peter says, oh, oh, Jesus, all these knuckleheads around me? Yeah, yeah, I could see every single one of those. They're, they're going to they're gonna do that, but not me, Jesus, not me. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, oh, Peter. Before the rooster crows, Peter, you will deny me three times. And it tells us, we read this week that when Jesus was arrested, it, that Peter followed Jesus, how does it say? At a distance. He followed him at a distance. You know why he followed him at a, at a distance? Because in his mind, if I get too close to him, I might experience the same thing that's coming to him. So let me stay back here at a distance and be safe. But guess what? His safe walk with Christ quickly led to him denying Christ. Brothers and sisters, we can't draw near to God if we follow him at a distance. We can't draw near to God if we stand back and wait and see, okay, God, what direction are you going to take? And if I can see what direction you're going to take, then I'll choose whether I'm going to follow you or not. That is not how we live. We submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil, and he will flee. There is more grace. We humble ourselves, and if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. Oh, that we would humbly draw near to God and know that he will draw near to us. Hear this, even now. Even now. Right in this moment. I want to end our time with a question I asked almost at the beginning. You think about your life. You can do a year. You can even do a month. Are you closer to Jesus right now than you were this time last year? Are you closer to him right now than you were this time last month? Are we closer? Are we drawing near? Here's the beautiful thing. In our honesty and humility, if we say, I'm not, we're able to draw near. And if we draw near to him, what will he do? He will draw near to us. That happens now. Not God saying, I'm going to wait and see what you do. No, God draws near. Oh, that we would end this moment. If we're asking and answering that question honestly, and the answer is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm far away. Oh, may today, right now, be the moment that we draw near. And for the child of God in this room that's you're saying you walk in here, maybe your head's a little high and you're like, I've never been closer to God. First of all, as Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Because oftentimes, listen, Satan will get us at our lowest. 
that he'll often get us at our highest. When we have a victory, I mean, this, this is my life oftentimes. I have a victory, and all of a sudden I start taking victory laps. And at first it's like, praise God, God is good. And then all of a sudden my victory lap, I'm doing this. And then about five steps later, I have fallen flat on my face, and Satan has won a, a small little victory. And it's like, what in the world just happened? Well, what happened is I took my eyes off of God. I stopped watching and praying and resisting, and I fell. So, brothers and sisters, let's continue to draw near. And let me end this way. Pastor Jordan began in Hebrews 10, reading this morning. One of the beautiful things about Hebrews 10, I was even reading it this morning. Everything that the writer of Hebrews says in that section, he says this, us, we, let us draw near to God. Let us figure out ways that we can encourage and strengthen one another. It's something that, yes, only I can't draw near to God for you, but I can draw near to God with you. You can't draw near to God for me, but you can draw near to God with me. Oh, to God that we would draw near to him together. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand, and we're going to call the, the band forward as we enter in this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together. Father, we come before you, and Lord, God, the humble question of our hearts and the question that we must answer is, are we closer to you? Or maybe we're in this room, we're listening online, and we don't have a relationship with you, and Oh, God, may today be a day of salvation. Today be a day of turning away from sin. Today be a day of confessing sin, of placing ourselves before Jesus, acknowledging him as Savior and Lord, submitting to him as Savior, submitting to him as Lord. Today can be the day of salvation, but also that today can be a day of drawing near for the child of God in this room that isn't as close as they were. May today be a day of drawing near. Knowing, God, that you will draw near to us. May this be a season, may this be a year that we, as the first Baptist Church of Ocean, may that we draw near to you, O oh God. May we do it individually. May we be encouraged as we draw near together. Just finish this time. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our cornerstone. We are shaken. Even sometimes upon the rock, we are shaken, but the rock is never shaken. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name.